is I can't have the really fun things that I really enjoy without letting go of these other things that don't bring me pleasure, but I should, you know, if I, and, and for me, that's, that's the big reason to, that's the reason to engage with the quitting, to engage with the endings, which, are, which can be hard. It's because they open up the possibility of something else, something that I will enjoy more. Holding on, letting go. Holding on, Please. letting go. Always know exactly when to fall. Believe, letting go. Always know exactly when to Hi everyone and welcome to season two of Knowing When to Quit. Is it season or series? One's American, isn't it? I'm going to say series. <laughs> um, yeah, really excited for this conversation. We actually had a bit of a Knowing When to Quit moment with this conversation in that it was recorded back in April and on the day that it was scheduled to go out, there was a massive storm in Brighton and a huge power cut which meant my editor was unable to send it to me and we were forging it up trying to get this <laughs> like painfully trying to get this episode over to me and in the end had to had to let it go but I think there's always something to be said for listening to episodes again actually and, and revisiting them so it's been a real joy to to reconnect with this wonderful episode and just to say a bit about our guest today so Matthew Bellringer is a Divergent Innovation Guide, Neurodiversity Advocate and Social Entrepreneur. And they believe that with the right support, unconventional people can make a unique contribution to addressing big, messy problems that affect everyone. So Matthew um, was diagnosed with ADHD uh, quite a few years ago, and they've been really good at trying to understand how that plays out in the workplace and they're very well versed in the strengths and weaknesses of ADHD, how that impacts people and how it impacts everyone, but how to work with it. And I think this is a time where a lot of people are discovering that they have ADHD and maybe that's not you personally, but maybe people in your family, your workplace, your friendship group. And it's just a really informative episode about what that means to have ADHD, how the brain works differently, and what support's available um, in terms of the systems that you might want to set up for yourself and how you might want to work differently. And I said on this episode, I think hearing Matthew speak, it's as if when you have ADHD, you have an evolved sense of knowing when to quit, like this intuition. But it's been more than intuition. It's like a, a, a feeling and a knowing that this is just not interesting anymore to work on something. And that change of focus, which so often can be seen as a weakness, is actually an incredible strength, that ability to know and, and move on from the things that aren't working anymore. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. It was a really like a proper hyper focus for me to have this conversation. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to support us, then please share this, rate and review, and you can always buy us a coffee on ko-fi.com forward slash Sarah Wyler. Enjoy the episode. Do you want to 
start with just telling me a bit about or telling people listening what's alive for you at the moment Matthew what's alive for me at the moment so ah, at, at this very moment I'm um, in the midst of um, interestingly very appropriately for the show I'm in the midst of starting some things up some closing some things down changing them and some things round um, so yeah I, I'm I'm kind of looking at structure and tools um, in all sorts of senses of the word to kind of support going off in a slightly different direction doing things slightly differently um, a kind of another cycle reinvention cycle um, and that yeah so so for me I think that's that's really what's alive with me at the moment and the the challenge of allowing myself to develop that structure and the stuff that I know that I want to support me when the conventional approaches don't necessarily do that. And what's the perspective that, cause you have ADHD, right? And mm. what is the perspective you think you can give the world from, from, from that place? Absolutely. So I think for me, one of the ways I understand ADHD um, and in relation to this really is, is, is in the links, in the context, mm. is many people with ADHD brains are very, very sensitive to what's to, to the situation around whatever, around themselves, around whatever they're working with. And you can, you know, on some level, that's another way of saying distractible, right? Mm. That you can be because you're so sensitive to what is going on around you, you need it very, you know, well set up to perform. And when it is very well set up, you are incredibly productive. I think this is one of the things that, you know, one of the other strengths of ADHD is the capacity to do in one day of hyper-focusing what, what takes most people a week to do. Um, and you might need a day or two rest afterwards but but it, it's still that capacity is there and it partly becomes from setting up a really really good context a really supportive context mm. and so what I think do you for me, need yeah so yeah so so for me um it's very much I mean it's 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 very connected so it's across the whole thing because it is very much that that gestalt thing and I think this is one of the other sensitivities around it is if there's something off in the context it's very distracting. Uh, it's like, it can be, it just draws the attention. It's like, and, and occupies a lot of the awareness. And I think for me that that slight offness is, for most people might be unconscious or it's ignorable at least, but it still has a bit of drag. It still causes a bit of discomfort and a, a bit of difficulty. But for for someone with ADHD, it's almost like a, a huge barrier. And but that then means we can work with them very well because we can spot them in the environment. We have the the sensitivity to know when what they are, how to change them, when our efforts are actually changing. And so I think yeah, for me I that that set of strengths, along and very relatedly, this ability to think in very connected ways, this highly analogous thinking. So 
which I think we're going to we'll probably touch on in themes later on as well, where where part of that comes from. But this ability to kind of take a model from one place and be like, okay, well, like I was I was reading about this completely random and apparently unrelated thing earlier today, so um, I'll apply it here. And our brains are very good at doing that and kind of moving those models around until they fit. And that mm. that for me is, is is another way that we can kind of there's a there's a creative problem solving aspect. Uh, it's not very strong at the kind of linear problem solving, which is the kind of chipping away at a problem. But it's very, very good at the insight based problem solving where you're drawing something from drawing apparently unrelated connections together the difficulty is the connections can be a source of overwhelm for me I, I sometimes talk about it as the possibilities disappearing off over over the horizon and you're just like uh um i i you just can't choose because it's just like it's an infinite you become like you're aware of the infinite realm of possibility without any ability to to narrow that focus back down again um and for me but the ability to zoom out a long way in that is incredibly helpful as long as you don't get stuck there too long i really you've illustrated that really well and yeah i really hear what the the strengths and limitation they all sound kind of like on an edge right like it's they're the same thing like you get one thing out but like as if one thing goes out and you might be toppled like that sensitivity is like yeah, but, but, and then like such awareness and overwhelm they, they are like, they are strengths and weaknesses they're not like yeah. they, they are they are not good bad that's why why no. I'm, yeah you know i think of a lot of neurodivergence as a condition it's a neutral thing in the right circumstances it's really helpful and in the wrong circumstances it's an absolute disaster <laughs> and um remind me your journey with adhd so yeah so i had a dyslexia diagnosis as a child um and I always kind of felt it was quite useful. Um, I had kind of some support and interventions, which eh, kind of helped. And actually, I, I studied um, when I studied psychology, I did um, my final year project on the experiences of dyslexics in education and work. And I found out that there were a small subset of dyslexics who did experience the world quite similarly to me and actually a larger group who seemed to actually be really quite different. A few years later on, I was at a, at a conference, kind of unconferency thing, and I went to an open space around neurodiversity. And I spoke to a few different people and I found out that I, I just met a group of people who I shared a lot in common with. And then I found out they all had ADHD diagnoses. What were some of the things you shared? For me, I can't think of any specifics, but there is really like a, the two things are like things I find extraordinarily difficult situations um, and uh, events and things I love that other people really don't it's 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 things in both of those categories really um, and things things I find difficult um, particularly around kind of certain sorts of work and motivation and, and doing things in a certain way means to an end things um, and things I find exciting and, and there's a real um, exploratory there's a need, not just a, a, a joy of novelty, but a need of a kind of novel adventure exploration 
in people with ADHD very often to the point at which it almost, I, I sometimes think of it as being more at home in the forest than in the village, you know, that, that, that yes, we can kind of come back and visit, <laughs> but actually our comfortable place is when we're not in, in the space where stuff is known fully, where we are exploring, where we are just kind of following the, the, the thread. Yeah, so there's, I remember when we spoke last time, you, you shared that distinction between comfort in, in newness and risk-taking, and often people uh, yeah. like conflate the two. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, one, of the, one of the big uh, challenges around neurodivergence and a lot, of, a, a lot of the experience of people who have experienced the word differently in any way, I think, very much, but particularly around neurodivergence, is that some things are lumped together that aren't necessarily true and one of the big ones for me is the uh, the the idea of risk appetite and for me risk is a really interesting one because i i if you look at like my history in my life in some ways i have a very low risk appetite and in other ways it appears i have a very very high risk appetite and what it is is that risk is when we say risk, we haven't actually really understood. There are two separate things. There's risk and then there's uncertainty. Mm. Now, uncertainty is actually very often a source of fear for people. Um, risk is much more bounded, much more known. So for me, um, when I say risk, what I mean is something with known odds, give or take. That could include gambling, that could include roller coasters, mm. That could include, you know, something where there are where where the the gains and the losses are constrained, where we kind of know the rules of the game, where if we play it, there's a chance that we get a good thing and a chance that we get a bad thing, and we know what those chances are, give or take. Uncertainty is very different. In uncertainty, we don't know what the end state will be. We don't know the range of end states. It's much more free, much more exploratory, and for many people, much more scary. What comes up for me as you say that is like lockdown and the pandemic. And I wonder how you felt about that open-ended, we might be locked down for months or years. Yeah, um, because it fell into the category of uncertainty, I didn't really bother me that much, actually. Mm. Uncertainty, because I have, I have high uncertainty appetite. I need uncertainty. Yeah. I don't actually like risk very much. I find it quite boring. Um, boring. It makes me anxious and bored at the same time. What's the boredom in that? Um, it's just because it's known. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I do have a kind of, there's a, a, a kind of loss averseness. And if I know what the losses are and the gains can't be, you know, I know what the gain is like it's not worth it i think for me it's also because there's something at stake and i'd rather i'd, I'd rather stake that on uncertainty yeah. if you see what i mean um where where there's a it's like if it why would i why would i choose to win why would i choose to potentially lose something and win a constrained amount when i could put that at risk risk mm -hmm. uh, when i could put that <laughs> at stake um and potentially have something that i don't know yet of even more value so interesting i wonder what other things are in your what are some of your your memories of going into uncertainty where others were like oh my god this is horrendous and you felt in flow 
Absolutely. So I, I, you know, I, I had an inkling of this, Mike. <laughs> For a while, one of my one of my bosses, a, a job I had, introduced me as as the person that does the stuff no one else would do. And it's partly because I was really drawn to these uncertain, hard problems. I've always found the kind of, you know, the unsolvable, almost un seem unwinnable because they don't have win conditions. And this is why they're unwinnable, right? These problems where we don't understand them enough to know how we solve them. That most people stay away from, particularly in a work context, because you're very unlikely to be rewarded for engaging with them. But I'm fascinated by them, yeah. and I've always been drawn towards them. So, and you're rewarded because it's interesting. I'm intrinsically rewarded. Yeah, yeah. Um, and thankfully, in that situation, I had a boss that got it. Um, unfortunately, that that situation didn't last, and um, and was was a rare rare moment of, of of actually someone who who did understand the value of that work because it's often quite undervalued work um it's it's it falls into a category that really creates possibility more than actually realizing possibility um it's very much a capability mm. building potential creating act rather than because once you've figured out what the what kind of created a winnable game then you have to play the game and win it and so and that can be a really helpful thing and actually this does kind of link to adhd because playing a game where there are known rules and going through that needs a kind of procedural capability that tends to be quite low in people with adhd so a lot of my a lot of my approach to life is essentially to choose is to use the ability to kind of work with the uncertainty to create very easy to win games mm. because i'm not very good at playing them in that way if you see what i mean so i play the game by choosing a game that's easy to win rather than by being good at playing a difficult game quit should we talk a bit about quitting yes and as i suppose just for you personally what do you what's your relationship with quitting so yeah, um, I've I've had a, a very difficult relationship with quitting. Um, partly because, not necessarily because I I've had to do it more than other people, um, though I think I have. I actually no, sorry, not because it's harder for me than other people, but probably because I have had to do it more than other people. And that's partly a function of the ADHD and partly a function of the exploratory stuff. You know, is if I'm trying things out, feeling into things, if we're talking about a domain that you can't know, you can't reckon out until you've just tried it out and been in it, sometimes you're not going to be in a place that you actually want. Not all of those experiments are going to work. And that means quitting. And I think there's a, there's a huge shame around the idea that we would try something out and then quit um and particularly in a workplace context particularly in a business context there's only one really big company i know that 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 actually has has another approach culturally and that's google you know the willingness to shutter projects and be like oh yeah we learned something from that it kind of worked but yeah we're going to do something different now that and to do that publicly there are very few companies but i suspect there are also very few companies that are 
of sufficient scale and recognition to get away with that yeah, because it you know it, it's a their their uh, investors are going to be very you know there, there's going to be all sorts of reactions to that that aren't necessarily something other organizations can weather but it's a really important way to explore um and for me with the with 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 that exploratory um aspect i i i i quit a lot i try a lot of things and then i i i decide they're not for me or they're not for me right now um sometimes i describe it as you know going going down rabbit holes so other people don't that's that's kind of my my business value is i've been down a lot of them uh i know where they go and i can tell you whether that's you know if you can if we can work out where you want to go i can tell you whether they'll take you in that direction when you move from thing to thing what's that like like do you just suddenly go oh i've noticed i haven't read up on that for a while or do you have like a conscious uncoupling <laughs> with your hobby well I, what 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 will happen is um i'll realize i haven't done it for a while and i i'll go through a phase of not really having any energy for anything much i just won't have the energy for it and either the energy for it will return or the energy for something else will come up mm. and when the energy for something else comes up then what happens is that what i will now try and do is is consciously put the old thing down and away which might mean you know donating stuff selling stuff giving stuff you know like or packing it away or kind of organizing it in a way so it's kind of bundled up um for anything that i do think i want to keep and handing everything over for um for stuff that i don't feel that i really have that doesn't have any energy anymore uh, and, and giving it away and then using the space that's created either physically or metaphorically usually both to to then go and, and explore what the next one is i love that but that sounds very healthy and like i don't know just like a sense of really honoring the completion of something decluttering in the moment rather than opening a cupboard in 10 years and being like oh there's my cello I can't, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's perfect. Um, and there, you know, these things kind of do, do kind of pop up from time to time. But I think it's one of, one of the things for me, and I, you know, I'm, I'm really interested. I really liked your idea of the carousel thing. Yeah. Is that it's absolutely okay to put things away for an extended period of time. And some of my hobbies and interests I've kind of mothballed for years and years. 10, 15 years, and then come back to. But that's only a function of, and, and but part of the reason to do that putting away and putting down process is because it means that when you come back to them, they're in a state that you can re-engage with them. Mm. Because for me, it's like the, you know, either dropping them or just kind of leaving them, then entropy happens and bits get lost and, you know, yeah, ADHD is not a low entropy existence. Um, so the, the the chaos is always kind of close. Um, and and so that that creeps in if you don't kind of just put things away. And also, I feel, uh, you know, there's a sense of, um, I suppose it's there is a sense of profligacy or a sense of waste. But for me, an awful lot of that actually points to well there's something for me to give away here mm. there's something i can do with this 
it's no longer a value to me but to to honor that it was i can give it to someone else to enjoy and for me an awful lot of the the kind of holding on to things in case they are useful later is overcome with well i know they're going to be much more useful to someone else now yeah. i want someone i've enjoyed this and so you kind of end i end up with this kind of slightly sentimental attachment to things that i have enjoyed but no longer enjoy mm. and that can be a really unpleasant thing because you almost feel guilty about them not enjoying it yeah that makes a lot of sense and i remember when we spoke last time you were saying that you just cannot work on something that's not interesting no. And so that my sense when you talk about these hobbies also is like, it's not like you're, oh, I better do my juggling or I better do my cello practice. Like that's never going to happen. No. So, you know, if you're not working on it, it's not interesting for you anymore. Absolutely. Like it's very clear. If it pops into my brain and it's there and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, yeah. If it's got the energy to push the other stuff out, all of the <laughs> other things, then it's got the energy. You know, that's that's what what's interesting and i do get you know when i do get into something i really get into something you know i can really hyper focus on things like like a lot of people with adhd and and so i really get into it and it's it's uh, you know it's the uh, literally for a while it will be it might be the thing i wake up thinking about and go to sleep thinking about and spend all of my all of my free time thinking about and would bring in metaphors or bits of it to every, anything that i'm working on or all of it it's like a new relationship, isn't it? It's like you're it going through like, high, like the honeymoon phase <laughs> with a with a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I think for me that that kind of that that cycle is is a lot of the the cycle. And and interestingly, unlike in in actual human relationships, it's the one thing where I'm not like that. I actually work on a very slow cycle with that, and I'm very um a small number of very settled relationships um but in every other aspect of my life um yeah or very many of the others particularly these kind of these more doing ones i'm completely yeah it, it's like it's like this is enough you know i, I and i think this is one of those things I, like sometimes where you do end a relationship sometimes it's traumatic and unpleasant and 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 hurtful and sometimes it's just like, well, this has come to its end. Mm. There is, you know, where, where, where there isn't, there isn't much, it, it was, it, you know, um, there's a, there's one of, one of my, uh, fa favorite idioms. And I believe it's from Eastern Europe somewhere. I need to tra track it down as exactly where, um, is, is the idiom that, um, it was good, but it's good that it was. Oh, I love that yeah oh it's very freeing mm, isn't it i think this idea of like the thing the idea that things have to stay the same mm. my needs have to stay the same my interests have to stay the same the world has to stay the same it's just this going against true. the tide isn't it it's you know, not it's not real uh, yeah and and so so when we kind of overcommit to these things you know we're we we make we almost make all the quitting stuff painful it's because we 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 load all of these expectations onto things that just they're unbearable for anything they're not really you know and and it, i think for me a lot of it is actually around you know if we can hold things more lightly we can 
we can have we can experience more of them and i think for me again this is a you know because i'm so led by different experience that can lead to wanting to do all the things at once and that can be overwhelming that 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 leads to a lot of difficulty for um for anyone who tries to do it and particularly people with adhd all the things at once is too much so it, it is no one can process that but what i can do is do all the things one after the other quite quickly <laughs> yeah yeah i love that yeah. all the about the possibility you like the sense endless possibility it's like how do you know where to start do you ever get paralyzed or do you just something will always have the loudest voice i used to get paralyzed and now i and very often it's like because you'll end up with two things that are very close that in terms of like should i go this way should i go mm. that way for me there's two ways to to figure that one out the first one is a very embodied way and then my favorite, this is one of my favorite kind of embodied little tricks, ditties, whatever you call it, is um, all it requires is a coin. Mm. Um, so if you uh, if you happen to be listening and you have a coin to hand, you can try it as well, because it, it feels it's more profound than it feels. Try it. Don't just listen to me saying this. See what happens is if you've got a binary choice one way or the other way. Aside one to heads and one to tails. Then toss the coin, see what the result is, and then see how you feel. Because then you'll know which one you really want. Mm. If you feel like relief and joy and happiness, then that's the one. If you feel, oh my God, oh, this is awful, then you know it's not the one. Yeah, but what if it's like, about whether the decision to quit something you might feel awful because it's going to be hard but actually it is the right decision yeah i i, I think if you do if you try try that quite it it bypasses the head bit quite effectively oh, yeah. it bypasses <laughs> ironically the, go straight to yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> uh yeah um yeah we can often end up in this kind of conflict situation and it's it's very difficult, particularly when we live in um, where we develop the capacity to make our thinking minds very powerful. We have a lot of tools. We have a lot of practice. It's a really powerful tool, but there are some things it's not very good at engaging with. And the uncertainty is it's not as good with engage, uh, engaging with our embodiment and our intuition are our primary tools for engaging with complex systems and uncertainty. They are much more embodied and they're much more probabilistic. They're not like certain and deterministic much more about relationships and things that happen together correlative things rather than causal things what but once we've got one of those once we've seen an association the thinking mind is really good at testing it and finding out the details mm. and if we only use one or the other we make awful mistakes so what would happen if we only used the embodied and what, if, what would happen if we didn't use the thinking mind what would that look like uh, that looks like um, just going with exactly the exactly kind of the exactly what you want to do at that surface level all the time, what the body is asking you for, meeting every kind of bodily impulse at every point, which for many people will result in compulsive something. Compulsive. Even if it's true, like, because that's an assumption that we're always, our body's always going to want us to do something like that. 
it, it's the unchecknedness of it. It's mm, not the okay. it, it, those things are always going to be arising. Okay, they are always there, and they are always kind of valid. But it's whether we choose to give them, whether we choose they're the thing that we want to do. The other thing is for for many people, certainly for ADHD people, is they will never do anything because they'll always be bouncing between the thing before they even do it. So it's like, you know, if I'm if I'm if I I'll 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 be working and then I'll notice I'm hungry, but on the way to getting some food, I'll notice something that needs tidying, and then I'll pick that up, and then I'll put, and then I'll put that down. You know, I'll start reading it, and then I'll think about. I'll, I'll think about something that I've read and then I want to write that down, but on, and then I'll start writing that down, but then I'll, on the computer, I'll see my emails and then you never yeah. actually do anything. So the, it's important to, you know, use the, the intuition is really good at finding us good things to do. The thinking mind is good at doing them. Mm, commit the commitment to it and the, the pattern interrupt as well. It's 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 the commitment. It's it's the keeping us. It's the getting us to the resolution. Getting mm. us to that. Getting us. Getting what we want out of it. Getting that thing out of it. That the thinking mind is good. I mean, is it's an integrative process. It's about joining together all of those disparate signals. So you've got your your thinking mind modelling the thing, and then your feeling. You know, you know your your sensory immediate sensory feedback and then you've got the intuition summarizing that sensory feedback it's like how do i come to a um an integration a, a synthesis of all of these different apparently contradictory inputs because they all have some value they're all telling me something but you can't take any of them literally unproblematically they all need contextualization from the others need to work as a team exactly exactly and what the difficulty is we're not taught to do that um for ourselves because we've all got different teams made up with different strengths and weaknesses and i think for me this is one of the things around you know um around this idea of quitting and and whether you do a lot of things and you get enough from them and mm. it's also related to like what satisfies you know the the the, mm. the fulfillment or the satisfaction is is a really interesting one one way another way of saying people with adhd have short attention spans is to say that we're very easily satisfied yeah you know yeah. again well, and you can reframe it. it's like and so you could say you know from from a from a person with adhd perspective with adhd's perspective i could i i might say that most other people it's really hard for them to be satisfied by uh, by engaging with a with an experience. And because do you think I can be of the intensity of which you engage for you. Partly, yeah, I think so. I mean, I I I think for me, I, I understand um, a lot of the experience of ADHD as being a a similar kind of complete experience to other people to neurotypical people but over a compressed period of time so it's more you know it's more intense the peak is higher the upslope is faster the doubt the drop off is higher yeah. it's true on emotional processing as well on a shorter scale um so that kind of what's sometimes called emotional dysregulation is actually more like i just process em emotions very quickly mm. so their peak is high 
But if I'm and allowed see. to ex express and work through that, I'm done much faster than, you know, so it's like, and, and you can get in trouble for all of this. And I think sometimes the fear around quitting is because you're done, you've processed it. You, you don't, it doesn't have value for you anymore. Yeah. You can walk away. When I was listening to you saying about this, the word that came up to me is like progression. And I wonder like how that fits into this because I, my sense, and I, I don't know if I have ADHD, but a lot of what you talk about really resonates. And I have got, I've got really good at lots of things. I have, and people often say like, well, you do so much. And I've learned like lots of languages, instruments, probably, I don't know. I've got lots about lots of things that are similar to you, but then I haven't progressed in any of them to a really high level because like, I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not like, I've never gone like, year on year getting good at one thing and i suppose i'm just curious like how you see progression fitting into all this yeah i, I think for me it's a different kind of progression what often happens for me is like i have to tweak something mm. i i talk a lot and i never give the same talk twice not because i can't in the sense of cognitively but just because I'd find it so incredibly boring that I'd struggle to make myself do it, and I think it wouldn't wouldn't be a service to the audience. It would it wouldn't have any energy. So for me, I always have to be exploring and doing something I'm not I haven't mastered yet. Once I know what 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 it looks like, once I'm really clear and I'm kind of I lose interest or I start to lose interest, and that's just a different skill set. And my skill set at the beginning phases of things is fast. I can, you know, drop me into a, an environment and drop me into a new thing, whatever it is. I can figure out the basic principles of it, get grounded really quickly, usually quicker than most people through practice, largely, because I've done a lot of new things. You know, there's mm. a skill in picking up new things in and of itself. Yeah. You know how and to learn. And, like and you actually, you progress in that. Yeah. Well, it's like the more languages you learn, like you now know how to learn a language. Or learn, yeah. So it's like you now learned how to learn things and where to place your energy and how to keep yourself motivated. Although maybe you don't need to worry about that because you just will. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, completely. And, and I think, you know, for me, if we think about the, the skills that we're developing, yes, that, that narrow domain skill, you... you, you I, I'm never, you know, I'm never going to be interested, I doubt, in doing that. And there are some people, certainly throughout basically my entire life, who felt that that was a wasted opportunity, mm. been disappointed, you know, again, on the academic front. I was, been, you know, it's like, you could do a PhD in this. Well, yeah, yeah, I could. Yeah, maybe, but that would mean focusing on one very narrow. That would mean a, a, a level of developing just... expertise that 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 would take me in a place that that I don't want to go. Or I could do bits of PhD level stuff across a whole load of different subjects and be much more interested. But it doesn't result in anything that kind of you know in that single domain. Mm. And I, and I think that that is a there's a, there's a cultural thing around that you know we have we privilege that narrow expertise mm. and in in ways that show up in all sorts of funny ways because like there's a, one of one of my favorite um well my most again interesting idiom is is jack of all trades master of none one of the weird things about that phrase is we say that and people still say that it used to have a second sentence yes i heard about this recently 
It's jack of all trades, master of none, usually better than a master of one. Yes. And for me, if we're working in a complex domain, if we're working in anything real, in the real world, anything meaningful, that's why. It's because we don't know what skills we're going to need. We don't know what exactly what we're going to need. And if you can make stuff up, if you can improvise, if you've got a big toolbox already and you can lash together something else out of what you've got or out of sticks and whatever you mm -hmm. find, you can be prepared for things that other people can't be. And it's interesting you mentioned the pandemic because for me, yeah, I, I it didn't, I found the suffering difficult, other people's suffering from an empathetic level, but on a on a kind of practical professional level, not really a problem at all. Yeah, I definitely, I think I thrived. And I realised that my, I actually realised my resilience was in the fact I've not specialised, like my professional resilience. I was able to do, like, it was like, oh, okay, it's fine. Well, I'll just do more coaching or I'll just, I'll, I'll create this. Whereas... I think people who'd like that my whole life is this one business. It definitely showed me that I was right not to specialise. <laughs> it, it's adaptive capacity. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's the ability to adapt. And I think, you know, interestingly with the coaching is very often what we're doing is we're training others in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, was... And how, particularly Sorry. with organisations. <laughs> because it's, it's a set of skills we're not taught. Yeah, yeah. Now, Ken Robinson said that the only skill we need to teach our young people is the ability to deal with uncertainty because he's like if you've got that then it doesn't matter what happens and i was like yeah that's obviously what we need I mean, to learn adaptation yeah and, and I, I think for me this ability to kind of to, to do it for ourselves to figure out what our what is going on and that, i should say i i for me this it isn't this isn't a general criticism of people who do specialize no it is really valuable that people do and it it you know i rely on their work too what i think i would it would be nice if it was more broadly understood is that they rely on my work too mm. is that they're mutually supportive they're not one is good and the other is bad why do you think there's such a stigma because i still feel it that like i have to be slightly apologetic that i'm not a specialist like what what why um, it confuses people um i think there's a there's a big thing you know a lot of people's social value is judged around their utility and if that isn't immediately explicable some people find that difficult um uh, particularly you know it's like that thing of like well what's your job title um it, it's it's like i do a lot of things is not a you know there, there's all these there's pejorative things like dilettante you know it's that kind of you know never commits to anything or never and and like anything you know there is there is a potential difficulty there just like you know uh, people focusing on one thing on one level yeah that's specialism on another level that's monomania that's obsession mm. you know and just like you can be kind of healthy and breadth specialist as it were you can be scattered and unfocused and i think for me it's it's really understanding where the you know the, the difference between those lies is around whether it's meeting your needs and other people's needs, whether whether it really is working, 
Mm. And a lot of our sense of that comes from the body. Letting go, holding on, Earlier you were saying about, like, you know when a hobby's finished, like, it's quite obvious because you're not working anymore. And that feels all well and good on your own. How do you find this playing out when you're working with others? So this is one of the things I think for me is, is knowing the domains in which I change is first of all, working with people who, well, there, there, there's a number of different ways to handle this. The first one is always making time bounded commitments. So for example, I, I love setting things up. So I'll always be like, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll run that whilst we set it up. I hate being stuck in those things. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at it. It makes me miserable. Uh, I'm not, yeah, it just doesn't work. So what I do is I'll say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll do this for a year or I'll do this for six months and I'll commit to that. And at that point we can revisit and see where it is, but no agreement beyond that, no expectations beyond that. We're doing it to see what happens for this period of time. And then everyone's clear about what it is. And when we get to that point, Hopefully we can be, we can have a reasonable conversation like which bits are working, which bits aren't working. Do we want to carry it on? Do we want to change it? Do we want to stop it? So that is a really useful way. Do you find everyone think, anyone ever thinks you're non-committal though? Or do you find that that clarity is like actually, do you ever get bad reactions to it? I expect so. Yeah. I've heard some people find me immensely frustrating because I won't commit to things. You know, I won't say things that I can't know. Yeah, I, I, I used to quite regularly kind of get pushed into agreeing. And I, I, you know, one of the things for me, one of my personal like boundaries, I don't like the word boundaries, but, you know, one of those things that I self-support things is be like, well, no, I, 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 I will commit to what I can feel confident committing to. Hmm. So I will say I feel confident with this much for this period of time and we will try that if that doesn't work for you if you want more than that you want to do it with someone else have you ever been in the middle of a project where you said i can commit six months and then before six months is up you've wanted to get out like how do you cope with that um that will be if i have um that's usually in in the circumstances where that has happened, it's been related to misrepresentation. It's whether, and there are two kind of forms of misrepresentation. The first one, which is actually the much more common form, is that people just don't know on your terms. People struggle to answer. And so it will be that people didn't know themselves what Mm. exactly they were saying or what exactly their part of it was. And uh, that will then, um, uh, that th- th- then it's led to the situation not turning out as I as I thought because I I wasn't starting with the knowledge that I needed to to be able to make that decision. In those circumstances, because it's done with goodwill, it's usually easy enough to unpick um, because people are like, well, you know, you you can end up in that situation where, okay, we all understand things differently. Yeah. Do we do we want to? carry on do we want to we, we do we want to try uh, you know it's like it we can always end before the six months it's like mm. as well that's just that's a boundary that's a checkpoint it yeah. stops things drifting one way or the other yeah. 
The other one is where there's deliberate deception. And in that case, I have no problem walking away because yeah. it's the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, if yeah. those are the those are the terms. If someone isn't engaging, you know, with with good intent, mm. then it we're done. Basically, mm. uh, I don't have a you know there isn't a way back from that. That I'm not interested in playing that kind of game. Not to say that there isn't again, there is sometimes value in that. For some people, are good at that, and some people like engaging and kind of playing at that edge. I don't, so I don't do it. Mm. My sense hearing you speak about all of this is that it's like people with ADHD have an evolved sense of intuition with like what works, what doesn't. It's like really like I don't know. My sense from talking to you is that you don't grieve these things. It's just like very clean. I don't know what your experience is, but that's the impression I get. I, I don't grieve them anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, that much. I still, you know, it, it is still difficult uh sometimes but for me a lot for a lot of it because because of this relationship between strengths and weaknesses as we where we very very much where we start it is i can't have the really fun things that i really enjoy without letting go of these other things that don't bring me pleasure but are should you know if i and and for me that's that's the big reason to that's the reason to engage with the quitting to engage with the endings which uh which can be hard it's because they open up the possibility of something else something that i will enjoy more the door isn't it it's like a it's a portal exactly rather yeah, than a stop a, yeah and it, it and and i think for me one of the other things is understanding that some of these things come back around. Many of these things come back around. It's not a case of I am putting this down forever. You kind of have to allow that that might be the case. But you don't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. It isn't automatically that way if you do put it down. You can always come back to things because they might be the right thing again. Mm. It's not about this kind of really long term being able to like plan out everything into the future it's about having a sense of what your needs are likely to be where things are likely to go and what things are likely where you kind of the direction you want to move in rather than the specific steps you want to take mm. on that whole journey What has been consistent across all of these things is that you are interested in it. <laughs> that is always a commitment for you. So in a way, it doesn't matter what is like flashing past the screen. It's like saying I like films, but I watch different films every night. You're just it's it's like this just it's just like you're there and you're engaged and like what's next and what's next. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, I guess you're nourishing right, but... yourself. The commitment is to that, to the, to the mm. things that bring about opportunity, the things that give energy, that give yeah. life, the things that have interest. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Which is such a good skill. I mean, it, so many people don't have any idea what that is for them, aren't aware when it's happening or when it's not until like years later and don't know that they're allowed it. It's like, a, I feel like this idea of, what feels alive or kind of joy or flow is isn't something everyone has access to 
and I think for me an awful lot of it is because of this idea of not being able to put things down yes it's because it's like it's one more thing and the internet is full of this I Mm. really you know an awful lot of toxic positivity comes from this idea of like do another thing it's like yeah if you're depressed why don't you try yoga it's like why don't you try it's like I first of all clearly it's it's advice from someone who's never actually had anything in in the mental health space at all but you know it's like this idea that you can do one more thing do you mean like an additional thing yeah it's like for me it's much more the the, the a more useful question is what don't i need to do anymore mm. always what what can i remove and then the things to add just kind of emerge in the space yeah. It's like, I don't need to find another hobby. I need to make space for whatever becomes interesting to fill, to emerge. That's such a good distinction. Because it's effortless then. Absolutely. We'll just naturally find those things. Well, all all those things will naturally find us. Yeah. Because it's not really a separate thing. No. (laughs) We are of our environment and we reflect it. You know, we, we are... We are in and of it in in entangled ways. We can't actually separate out entirely. And that's not a bad thing because it means that we can just kind of relax into it more. Oh, wow. I love this. Quid. So, like, as we're coming to the end of this conversation, what is there anything else you wanted to to share around this topic? and or advice for others from the perspective of someone who's good at quitting? I think for me, it's, 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 it's look, look for those things that you, that maybe did bring you joy, but don't so much anymore. They're the really tough ones. Though mm. no, that, but they, they can be the ones where there is most value because we've often committed a lot to them as well. So there's a lot of resource taken, like bound up in them, whether, and whether I mean, like financial or psychological or whatever they have a lot of energy they have a lot of something then look at some of those and i'll just choose one of those and see what happens if you start to put it down start to move towards move away from it start to to try different things and again not all in one go this is a this doesn't have to be a like i've decided now that i am quitting this what you're doing is you're seeing if it makes sense to you. Mm. You're exploring whether or not you are, whether or not it's still viable for you, whether or not it still makes sense. That is the process for me of putting something down or not, because it might be that you'll be like, oh my God, I missed this so much. I love it. I want to start doing it again. I'm going to go out and do it right. That's a great outcome. Mm. And so is yeah okay this doesn't have anything for me anymore and that but that process of putting it down is an exploration of whether what it does value it still has for you and so it's like edging into it don't decide you want to quit something see if there's something around you that you want to explore whether it still serves you yeah but i think people are scared that they will miss it that they won't miss it i mean I think there's a fear of like, but what if I don't think about it? It's like, well, then that's info. But 
there's, there's a regret and or a fear of shame i think that we were wasting you know there's a weird shame of having wasted something um and therefore continuing to hold on to it yeah and i i always say to people with that like you are you got so much from that experience so that is all in you like it's not exactly. lost it's not it gone. doesn't leave your body yeah but i don't know i think there's that again is a narrative we have to shift around like the loss you know like if someone dies we don't we we have all of the the memories all of the traits all of the things we learn all of the stories we don't they don't just like leave our brain and our memory yeah we don't lose what was no i mean it, we might have lost an imagined future that's it isn't it but in that role you know grief is the renegotiation of an imagined future as far as i'm concerned you know yeah. it's the unpicking of our story um but and that process doing that is freeing you know there is there is freedom is is the reason to engage with grief wow. because stories constrain us every plan constrains us those constraints can be good or bad true or false helpful or unhelpful but one when something when they don't serve us the letting go of them frees us for something else this is so important and it feels very freeing as you talk about it and the biggest thing i'm getting from this conversation is this idea of space that it opens up like we are we're clogging up the ability to be alive by not letting go of things yeah yeah there's a, there's a recycling you know the, the the recycling is important it's one of these things i, I i'm one of my particular favorite models is is mycology is fungi and if we didn't have fungi because it like they're rot they're rot right you know they're a problem you know you get rot in your house it's a problem they're kind of they're bad they can do you know if we didn't have fungi plant matter would have buried all other life on this earth including plants and everything would have died because the recycling the bringing that back mm. and making it available again for something else the breaking down of the old so that the new can emerge is a really really important part of the thing and knowing where we fall in that you know where our strengths lie in that some people are including me are more aligned with the kind of fungi work the breaking down <laughs> yeah. and the emerging of the new than they are of the kind of forest tree work mm. it's not that one is better than the other because they both support one another. They don't exist without the other one. Neither the mycelium does not exist without the forest and the forest does not exist without the mycelium. One is not for the other, they're both together. Wow. And I think for me that finding your place where you can be, you know, in your both together is, is, is the, for me, it's, it is possible, it is out there. That is such a beautiful note to end on. And I know we have literally pushed it right to your end, but um, do, do you want to quickly share like what you, how people can find you or what, like what you have on offer these days? Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to get in touch with me, um, I love talking to people and having conversations. So if, if any of this strikes a chord and, and is interesting, please do reach out. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Matthew Bellringer. You can find me at matthewbellringer.com. I also do run a show um, that 
um, Sarah is going to be a guest on um, called Delightful Descent. So you can find that on if you just Google it. It's on. Uh, it's a live recorded thing, so you can check that out uh, either on your favorite podcast platform. Though again, those are a little bit out of date, and they will be caught up hopefully quite soon. But you can find the up to date versions either on YouTube or LinkedIn. So uh, yeah, please do do reach out. And I think for me, like not just to me, just talk to people about this stuff please if it, if it resonates mm. explore it so much of it is in those conversations where you just don't know the answer yet they're so valuable so i think for me it's like yeah yeah by all means contact me but definitely talk to someone about talk it talk to someone yeah <laughs> thank you so much matthew i love this chat i feel like i can just chat to you for hours about all of this stuff but oh, no, we me do too, have and... to bring it to a close <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. No, thank you. All right, Matthew. Have a lovely afternoon. Brilliant. Cheers. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Knowing When to Quit. You can connect with Matthew on their website, matthewbellringham.com. And they've also just launched a couple of pay what you want sessions on navigating neurodiversity for people exploring and figuring out what to do with a diagnosis before and after. And it's counterpart for those supporting a neurodivergent person personally or professionally. All of those links are in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to support us, then please share it with people who you think would enjoy it. You can also leave us a review or buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Sarah Weiler. And finally, you get to enjoy the premiere today of our new jingle, which is a cover of The Gambler by Kenny Rogers, which we thought really encapsulated the, the essence of knowing when to quit. You've got to know when to fold them, know, know when, when to hold to them. Fold well, the other way around. And this features my wonderful editor, Johnny Hall, who is on run. main vocals. You never <laughs> enjoy it. See you next money. time. You're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done.